that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Good morning. It's great to see everybody this morning. and It's kind of nice to know everybody because I do kind of let my hair down a little bit, I guess, and take a few liberties of being goofy. And, you know, I am a goofy guy. I really am. I have been my whole life. And um, so it's kind of fun where, you know, I mean, some places you wouldn't want to go in and be goofy because um, I'm, I'm going to share a story with you about me and my goofiness. And uh, the other day I was at a, at an event, and um, <laughs> and I am goofy, you know. Most of you know me. I say some weird things and this and that. But I was acting like I was praying a, a chant of some sort and going ooh cha la la la, and a guy seen me. Well, later on, he wanted to talk to me. So okay, and we talked, and he says, uh, "That was the Holy Spirit in you over there, wasn't it?" I was like, uh, "No, that was just me goofing around." But. <laughs> He thought because of me being goofy, and this is just how good God is, though. Me being goofy, and I got to watch myself because I'll be in places and I'll say things I shouldn't because there might be uh, not as mature of a Christian there to really grasp what I'm goofing around with. Like one of them, I've got the gift of receiving. I think I can say that in here and be safe. But, you know, some people, if they're new in the Lord, say, I got the gift of receiving too. <laughs> but that's my joke, one of them. And like I say, i got to watch who I say that around. But I, but God, even in my goofiness, he was able to use me to go talk to this young man, even though I was being goofy. But we shared time, and, and I hope I was able to, to pray encouragement to him and, and such. But that's just a, a little thing about me. So it's nice that I can come in here and be goofy and kind of be myself. But i still got to watch myself because... You know, God has got a balance of everything, and you can go overboard in everything. And so I just, you know, that's one of the things I guess God showed me early on is this balance in life that we try to live. And and uh, and that has all nothing to do, all that has nothing to do with today. I just wanted to get that out there. So I love being here, you guys. It's, um, you know, the Tyra family, uh, I wouldn't mind praying for them before we get going is... Um, you know, their brother Tony is now with the Lord, and, you know, um, that's tough, but it's still what a blessing to be able to come to a funeral and know that the the, the, the person that is being celebrated is going home to be with the Lord. Amen? Much, much easier and smoother than those that don't know the Lord. So, you know, one of the jobs we're called to do is go out and make disciples. Go out, preach the gospel. Go out, share the love of God. So... I want to encourage you guys to go out. Don't fall for all the junk being stuck in your house with a mask on. Um, go out and confess Jesus as Lord. Tell him the good news because right now we've got an opportunity to shine. 
And so just be encouraged, guys. Find joy knowing that we're here for such a time as this. Even though it looks crazy out there, it is for them. For us, it's not. Our sanity is right here in this book and with our relationship with Jesus Christ. So maintain it. And as we slip into the message today, it's really about the heart. Our heart. Because that's what God wants. And throughout time in the scriptures and even in our own lives, we know that what we see on the outside is not what you necessarily get. If you're a young, immature Christian, sometimes it takes a while to figure that out. I remember when I first came to know the Lord, you know, I thought Greg was this, this God. And I found out he wasn't. I'm, I'm kidding, you guys. I'm kidding. I never thought Greg was a God. I, <laughs> I was under some very good teaching that taught me that we're uh, all men of, of uh, you know, we've all blown it. And we're all in good company. And um, But no, thank you, you know, as Pastor Greg took me under his wing years ago. And I think we share the same heart in what the church looks like today. And so our message a lot of times is the same. His is just louder, they say. So... <laughs> But the idea of the heart, you know, um, we're at a time, I feel, and as I've talked to people, the enemy seems to want to convince them that somehow they're not saved, they're not good enough. A lot of this stuff coming in, and it's, it's not necessarily a salvation move on the devil's point or part because, you know, we talk about losing our salvation. We know that we're secure by the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, I, I don't know ever where it's told that we lose our free will. That's a whole different subject. But the fact is that um, we, we come into this, we're sealed, and we're, we're here for the duration unless we choose not to. Um, you know, that, like I say, that's a whole different teaching. That That's not even where we're going today. But the the heart, you know, is on the inside. And if if the devil can confuse us and make us think that we're not worthy, we're not saved, these things, then we're ineffective. Not necessarily affecting our salvation if we're, we're saved, but it makes us immobile. We're sitting now in our home. We're not going out. And unfortunately, it didn't take a, a pandemic to make a lot of people like this. The church has been sitting at home for a long time. They're not going out. And so with, with confusion of what's going on now, as as you know we would we would seem to think by what god has given us by the scriptures that you know every day is closer to the end we see things happening in our time now that would really make us to believe is like end time stuff prophetically we're not trying to make something happen we're just going by what god has given us and so we see these times unraveling right before us as birthing pains stepped up quicker and quicker and so what does that really mean? Well, it means that we just continue to do what we're supposed to be doing. But maybe it has made you think about where you're at. Because I've heard a lot of people talk, oh, the separation of the, the sheep and the goats. and the, Could be, I don't know, because I do see a lot of people not showing back up that maybe you might think was a goat. And that's not our job to figure that out. But God does give us the ability to, you know, inspect fruit. And when somebody just lives a life totally opposite of what a Christian is, you know, we might suspect that maybe they're not saved. And we know that that can be the case through deception and many other things. But that's not for us to decide. Our, our dis What we're supposed to do is just continue to go out and tell people about Jesus. That's really what we're supposed to do. But we have to do it with the right heart as well. We have to understand where our heart's at. 
And many times we can be confused in thinking that uh, it's not the heart, it's our works that is one th- the thing that satisfies God. You know, there's nothing going to change the love that God has for us in what we do. The, the fact that we love Jesus is all it takes. It's a pretty amazing thing when you think about it, to choose to just entrust your soul to God. I believe That's, that is the simplicity of the gospel. It really is that simple, too. And then all the other stuff comes into play. That's why we have to be educated in the Word so we know how to live this life out through all the lies and deception so we're not one of those goats, that we remain a faithful sheep to the end. And so in that, we look at our heart. And I'm just going to you know, do a kind of a quick comparison between King Saul and King David. This has really been kind of on my heart because, you know, if you don't really study King David, he looks like one of them characters out of the Bible that's a hero, and he is. He's a hero to the point that God says he's a a man after his own heart. And you look at David, you think, yes, a man after God's own heart. He was in there as a young man. He was out there. He slew bears and lions. God gave him the ability to be a warrior. He could play musical instruments. He, he had some great abilities. And the fact that he was a warrior, that remains with him his whole life. The warrior to the degree that uh, in this life, we don't really meet people like him. If we do, it doesn't come out like it, like it does back then. Because back then, you just killed people. They get in your way, you kill them. Around here, eh, it kind of works that way for some people. But they ended up, it don't work out so well, they go to prison, you know. So it's not quite like it was. But back then, as a great warrior, you know, um, it stood out. And so David definitely stood out amongst people because of who he was. And this was a gift that God had given him because this is going to be from the line of Judah that was going to lead out the, the, the kingdom to the, the coming Christ. And, of course, early on, people didn't have this figured out for sure. But as it started happening... And it could only happen by the way that God knew that people were going to play this out. And, of course, as, as time went on, God comes in. He, he sets everything up. It, it's, it's working out. His people are there. And, of course, his people, the Israelites, when you look at them in the Old Testament, you look at them and say, man, what are them guys thinking? They've seen miracles. They've seen all this stuff, but still wanted to chase after the idols and, and, and you know, all these things that were not of God, but he still loved them. He remained faithful, even though they were faithless. And, you know, he reigned them in from their idolatry, but uh, we still got the issue to get figured out at the end of the salvation for the rest of the Israelites, you know. Pray for the Jewish community. Pray for those guys because uh, we need the peace of Jerusalem. A lot of things are taking place with uh, the prophetic message of where Israel is today, where Israel is at today. But that, that's God's chosen people, and he loved them through all this mess and still does just like us because we're still a mess. Apart from God, we're a mess, and we live it out every day. We mess up. We fail. But where's the heart? Does our heart really choose to serve God, or does it choose to totally want to walk in the world? And we've got to figure that out because it's important because that's the only issue that really matters to the Lord, where our heart's at, because it's within our heart that we have to choose to decide to truly entrust our soul to God. That's where it starts. And look and think about 
King David, we think of what a, what a great guy, a warrior. He done this, he done that. But when you look at King David's real life and get in there and look at it, the guy was messed up. He was as messed up as King Saul. But the only difference between the two, David's heart was right. He could see his sin for what it was, and at the end of the day, he could repent. King Saul never come to that. He never chose to truly follow God. And we're going to go through it because the things that God does and, and through Saul and David are, are amazing things. But when you look deep at these men's life, they was um, some pretty messed up people. God's hand was in their lives to the max. I mean, he had set Saul up and, and, and put his spirit in Saul to, to be able to live a life and be a king that, that he could have been. But one of the problems, they started hollering, give us a king, give us a king. And this took a place after, you know, they'd traveled, they'd, they'd finally made the promised land, got through all that. Well, then God had set up judges to kind of take care of them, matter, you know, take care of their affairs. Well, the other nations had kings, and they're looking over there at their kings, and it's kind of like, we like that. God, give us a king. Samuel, can we have a king? And God's like, give them, give them what they want. And you know God will do that to us today. He'll give us what we want, even though it's not good. But he'll give it to us. If we just want to choose to resist and go kick against the goods of God, he'll give us sometimes the desires of our heart. And it's not good. But that's who God is. And even, even in this mess... He, he, he saves David out of some amazing stuff because he's sovereign. Uh, we just see his hand so much in it. And like I say, he had set Saul up, put the spirit in him, and he could have been the king he was supposed to be. But Saul chose to really be his own man. He had a pride issue, an ego issue. He didn't want to really submit. Um, and once he became king, uh, things really started going downhill. Early on as a king, he was really a humble guy. He led some battles that showed, you know, he really did have some uh, uh, leadership ability. He, was, he could have been a good king, but because of who he was and never allowing God to be the one governing his life, God removed the spirit from Saul. And remember, this was at a time, Old Testament time, in which I don't believe anybody in here has ever or has been taught that the Old, king, or the Old Testament is not for today. If somebody tells you that, run from them. The Old Testament always just points to Jesus left and right, to the coming Messiah. We have to use it for the, to, to point us to the, to the truth. And I mean, it's just part of the Scripture. So Old Testament, very important. Don't let anybody ever tell you it's not. Like I say, I think we're safe to know that everybody in here knows that. But if you guys want to go ahead and open your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Samuel. Chapter 8 is, is uh, probably where I'm going to start at here. But the people cried out. They got to the point. They see the other nation with kings. They want a king. So they, they get a king. But not without being, and, and that's once again, you know, God is good because he told them the problem with having a king. He warned them first. And uh, it says, So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, This will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He says, 
He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen, and some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties, will be sent some to plow his ground and reap the harvest, and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves, and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and servants. I'm sorry, I didn't tell you what verse I was starting in. I'm in six, verse 16 of chapter 8 right now. Sorry about that. And he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men, and your donkeys, and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep, and he will, and you will be his servants. And you will cry out in the day because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but we will have a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations. Guys, we don't want to look like the other nations. We don't want to look like other people as the church today. As the church, we should look different. We should look like a, a, a sore thumb sticking out amongst everything else. And just because you say you're a Christian doesn't necessarily mean you are. That's why you know the true heart, where's it at? And many people are deceived and believe, and there's many ways to heaven. They don't understand the idea that we have to entrust our soul to God. There's a lot of things they don't understand. They just think it's maybe a free pass to heaven so they don't burn in hell. Maybe hell is real, so we'll just do this thing. and uh, It's bigger than that. It, it's a lifestyle choice. You, you make a change, and the supernatural God comes in and changes your life. It's real, and... You know, without it, you really, you don't see a change in a person's life. That's where the works comes in. It's a byproduct. You can't keep from it. When you know the Lord, you just can't keep from doing his work because you fall in love with him. Things happen. Like I say, it's a supernatural God. And I only know that because I'm nobody and God come in and changed me. And I'm hoping he's changed all you. Amen? Amen. And he's faithful. He's he's on his end. He's got it covered. It's where we're at. Like I say, the heart. Where's our heart at? So these guys, they've got the warning, and they, they just continued on this king thing. So God gives them a king. And we're going on. We're going to see that uh, Saul was chosen. If you go to chapter 9, we'll see it right there in verse 1. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zerah, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power, and he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. For his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. So we see that the people's choice, he was one of those guys, the fine-looking, he, he looked the part. That was their king. But like I say, Saul did display some uh, some very good characteristics as a leader early on. And, uh, I mean, he was still fighting battles into the end, but because of where his heart was at, God stripped the kingdom from him. We see that uh, in chapter 10... We're going to see that uh, 
This was where uh, he was anointed with oil. And Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? So we see that even though Saul, and God knowing this, Saul knew, or God knew that Saul was going to fail. But even though nobody else did, he still had to somewhere, or somehow uh, put a man in place that's going to look over his, his inheritance, his people. And so he cared about his people enough to at least have that. And like I say, we do see some characteristics of Saul would, would have been a good leader, except for where his heart went with the idea of following his God. And it's just like us, guys. You know, what are we doing on the outside? Does it all look good? We're going to church. We're making the Bible study. We're making, we're making Wednesday night prayer. We're doing all those things that look good. But where's our heart? Is it far from God? Near to God? And remember, nobody's going to have their heart in the perfect place. That won't happen until the day we go home. And so we have a battle, and we know of the battle. The old man, we fight that battle all the time. And, you know, we, we see that, uh, that, that Saul, he's, he's anointed of oil. And we're going to see that the Holy Spirit actually comes upon him. Like I say, that's at a time when the Spirit would indwell a person by, you know, the, the gift-giving of God, and then the Spirit would maybe leave. And and that's what we see. Today, we know that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. And that's a wonderful thing. And But with that comes a responsibility that we allow the Spirit to work through us, to govern our lives. In Ephesians 4.30, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And so we know that on this side of the cross, we are sealed with that Holy Spirit. We receive God, if it's truly in our heart, to say, okay, God, I entrust my soul to you. Come dwell in me. The Spirit of God comes in, and at that time, it's sealed till the time of redemption. And that's a wonderful promise that God has given us. And if you look throughout the Scriptures in the New Testament, you see many places uh, where it talks about the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and it's also a teacher. This is what teaches us to understand the Scriptures, how to navigate life. When we're praying out to God in a circumstance, it's the Holy Spirit that you're going to hear from that is going to guide and lead and, and direct you in a way that would bring honor to God. Doesn't know what it's going to bring us. It, it, it could be harsh. It could be good. We don't know. But the idea is to listen to the Holy Spirit and be directed that way and not grieve the Holy Spirit. That's what it means when we're grieving the Spirit, we're not allowing Him to work through us. And we have to allow that spirit to work through us for it to be effective. That's the idea. And more people need to understand that their heart needs to be in tune with God's heart because even in prayer, it talks about, you know, you'll, you will not receive because you pray amiss for your selfish desires because you're not, your heart's not lined up with God. You're praying selfish things. And not even to the point of like a new car. I mean, you might pray things to benefit your life, to, to, to make things work out in your favor, instead of really knowing that, yeah, if I'm really in tune with God, that's not what he wants to happen. And so, you know, allowing the Spirit to work through us. These guys, it was a little different, because we'll see with, with Saul, God snatched the Spirit right back out of him. And there he was without the Spirit. But... He's anointed here. He's been given the power through the Holy Spirit. I think in 10.6 it talks about that. Let's see. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, 
and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And that's something else, huh? When the Spirit of God comes upon us, what happens? Therefore, those that are in Christ are a new creation. We become new creations. All the old thing out. Behold, all things become new. That's our life as a Christian. We're sealed with that. Nobody can snatch it out of our hand either. Or out of the, we can't be snatched out of the Lord's hand. We cannot lose our salvation. But I think we can maybe uh, take that time and, and choose to walk away. I, I, I'm still, you know, I believe that because I know what my own will does. And there's times I choose to even sin against God with my will. If I didn't have that will, you know, maybe that uh, I could never walk away from I don't know. That's one of them subjects that just another day. But the idea is we're sealed, and God has really got his hands on us in such a way. And, you know, as good as God has been to me, even though this life has been daunting as a Christian at times, he's still been so good to me. I mean, this life as a Christian has been much better than the life of a sinner because I don't even know if I would be alive. Many of you can probably say the same thing. God is good. But we're, as we look along here, now Saul, has, he's been anointed with oil. He's, uh, he's to the point now that the Spirit of God is upon him. He's become another man. It says that God gave him another heart. Another heart. That's what God's doing to us. He's wanting to regenerate our heart. I think, you know, Greg talks about it all the time. God in there doing heart surgery, just, you know, disking up that ground and, and making it tender for, for new stuff, getting in them areas that, that we haven't been to, the things we hold on to. God wants to do that work. And that's the other part of, you know, entrusting our soul to him and letting him have it. It's painful sometimes. But in the end, you'll be blessed. So let God have them places in your heart. If we go on to chapter uh, 13 now, let's go to 13, Verse. Uh, let's look at verse 8 real quick. This was a time Saul was told after he got anointed, let me see if I can find it here, he was supposed to wait until Saul come back and told him what to do. Um, I was supposed to have that. But anyhow, he, okay, well, it says in verse 8, he said, Then he waited seven days according to the time by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul's worried everybody's leaving him. He was told to wait. He's thinking, man, I can't wait no more. I can't wait no more. So Saul said, Bring a burnt offering of peace offerings here to me, and he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came and Saul went out to greet him that he, or that he might greet him. Now what Saul is doing right here is he's being the high priest. He's being what Samuel's supposed to be. That's a no-no. And the biggest sin we're going to see here is he didn't wait. He was told to do something and he didn't do it. He did not wait until Samuel come to tell him what to do. So he took it upon himself. So in that, there, there was some pride. There was a, a lot of things that, that Saul really needed to work on. And you know, the one thing with God, if God's in it, God's going to meet him where he's at. He's going to work with him in this. But unfortunately with God, he knows, he knows 
where we're going with things. He knows our thoughts. He knows everything about us. So he knew what the outcome of Saul was going to be. And so in that, you know, why would you set somebody up for success when you know they're going to deny you and uh, probably go to hell anyhow? And unfortunately, you know, God has to know who, who all of his people are that's going to hell. And can you imagine how heartbreaking that would be knowing that, you know, those that you would call your children if they received you, you know, are, are in a place that's perfect for them or else they can deny you and, and go to a hell that they've created and allowed for themselves. It's, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's got to be hard on God and it should be as hard on us or hard on us. We, we need, that's where we need to understand that there's people that could die and go to hell without a message that maybe we have for them. And because we don't have foreknowledge and knowing who all's making it and not, we just go out and tell everybody. That's kind of the idea. We don't know who. But there's a balance in that. And, you know, we have to hear the voice of God to speak on and on. But, you know, it's the idea of being trained up in the way of the Lord. We hear him say, go, we go. We don't have to think about it. And the more time we spend with the Lord, we know the voice. We know the feel. We, we get that a little easier than as young Christians still trying to get it. So those of you know, when you hear, you're at the gas station, you hear, go talk, go say something. And you're like, no, I don't want to. If God said it, go do it. He's already prepared them. And it could be disastrous, but that's what God wanted to work out somehow in all that. So or he allow it and he'll use it. Either way, we need to go out. The idea is go out. Go out. 13.12, we see that he says, uh, let me find this. Then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. That was his excuse. He felt compelled. You know, we can't live by feelings, guys. This really, at this time that he felt something and acted on it, it really, uh, it really screwed him up in what he was doing because it wasn't long after that. Like right now, it says, And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. And that was the sin of not waiting. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But... Now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And we can only guess who that is. King David. After this was said, Saul was still king for 20 more years. So there was still a lot to happen, even after God said that the, that, you know, that the kingdom will not continue under him. And, and, you know, that's a big thing of a king. You know, he had sons, Jonathan, we know was a very close friend of David. Uh, he would have been in line as, as a son to be the next king. But you know, even Jonathan knew that that's not what was going to happen. He knew that David was the next king. And most cases, had these guys not been very good friends, they would have been adversaries. Jonathan would have probably been out to kill David somehow to protect the kingdom. But the Jonathan knew. And Jonathan walked close enough with their God that he knew to let David be the king, because that's what was supposed to be. And if God said it, it's going to happen. And Jonathan knew that. And I think Saul knew it too. And it worked out early on, it was good, but Saul got to the point because of his ego, he couldn't accept it. 
But he felt compelled. He tried to live by his feelings, and it got him in trouble to the point that the kingdom was stripped. Continued as king for another 20 years. But we go on, and, and one of the, the bigger things that Saul had done in chapter 15 now, as we move along, Saul was supposed to, if you look in verse 3, 15, verse 3, now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all they have and do not spare them. Kill both man and women, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. God is proclaiming judgment on these people. And that was the, the idea. And, you know, when God proclaims judgment, who are we to say? But... Saul, with his great wisdom, he decided that it would be better if they they keep the king, we'll keep him alive, and we'll take the best. And he says the best would have been for a, you know sacrifice. So he he tries as as Samuel calls him out on it, he tries to make it you know uh, why it would be okay in what he'd done, and there's just no reason you know uh, said the. In obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. That's one to remember, because sometimes we'll we'll try to to do the sacrifice, but we have to remember just obeying is better than that. And in this, you know, it would um, it was really rebellion, and it says the rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. You guys have probably heard that in here before, because we we're we're close to that. Uh, you know, with with the people that, that we deal with a lot of times in these harvest chapels is, you know, there's a lot of the witchcraft. There's there's a lot of rebellion, and those two go hand in hand. Think about that. Pretty amazing. But, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. He had some things going on that weren't good, and he was being called out directly on it. And we need to take heed of these things as well in our own life. We can see this and see that, you know, where his heart was at and what it looked like. As he tried to, you know, make these things like it was all right, and really, you know, he, he said, well, I've performed the commandments of the Lord. But then Samuel said, what then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen I hear? That's where he goes on. And Saul said, they have brought them from Melchites. For the people spared, the people, blame the others, for the people, oh, I lost my place, sorry. They brought them from the Melchites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. It's like, you know, he proclaimed obedience at the end. Well, no, he didn't. There was no obedience there. It was all disobedience. He'd done what he wanted to do. You know, pride can make us blind, and we all have blind spots. In Psalms 139, 23, and 24, where it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. I pray that prayer every morning. I need it. Because I'm messed up. And you know what? You guys are all like me. You're messed up too. And we can't ever think we're not. Apart from God, we got nothing. Our hearts is, is filthy rags, and we need cleaned up. And that's what God does, guys. He is He is so faithful to clean us up if we'll let Him. He'll give us a pure heart. 
But we see the mistakes and, and the things that, that, that took place here. And so because of the people's king, the king that the people chose, he, he really, you know, he, he fell miserably in so many ways. This last thing where he spared Agag, I mean, it was to the point that, um, you know, Samuel the prophet had to finish the do- job and kill him. But now we move on in chapter 16. We're going to see now the name of David. King David, we see that, you know, um, God said that he would provide himself a king from Jesse. And at this point, you know, nobody knew who, who David was. And even as Samuel went to look, Jesse's putting his finer sons up there to take notice. And uh, he gets down there and it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him, talking about the other brothers. He says, For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Place in there we can't see, others can't see right away, but God knows our heart well. Many times we don't even know it. That's the deception that can get us, and that's the worst deception is when you think you're okay, but your heart's a mess. David was anointed with oil. Um, They say he was probably only about 15 years old when that happened, when that took place. He became king at 30 years old, and he reigned for, I think, 40 years. So he, he had a long run, but as a very young man, he was active. That's already when he was out as a shepherd boy. That's why they had to call him up out of the field to figure out that he was the, the new king. And at the time that he was anointed wasn't really the time that he uh, stepped in as king because we're going to see, you know, as it went on, he actually he meets Saul and he becomes his armor bearer. He becomes his right-hand man. He loves Saul. Saul's family loved David. It was it, It's really a strange thing what took place. You know, in, in uh, chapter 16, verse 21, it says that he loved him and become an armor-bearer. We get to chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. This is where David goes and, and, and uh, kills Goliath. Now, this is, of course, one of those stories we see as, as uh, young kids and even newer in the Lord, and we say, wow, what a story. And it is. I mean, what a story that uh, this young man could go out and do what he'd done. But, once again, it's a God-sized feat. And, you know, God's always looking for God-sized feet. But, unfortunately, I think we put size on them and underestimate what God wants us to do so many times. And we stop way short just because we just don't see it. But, man, when we can let God just to really work through us and he does what he wants to do, it can become God-sized. And, you know what, I really believe that we have the ability to kill giants. We just are afraid to. Many times we're scared. The enemy has, has, you know, lied to us so much and has has given us fear that we just sit back and tremble at many of the things that we think could happen. When in fact, man, give God more credit. He's, He's bigger, I think, than what we see. David, you know, he he killed the giant, and that's where there was a little bump in the road in the uh, relationship between Saul and David. They started singing songs. 
And, you know, it says Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And when this started to come out, Saul with his ego, I mean, he just, he tripped on that. He's just like, no, I'm the king. And they're singing about this guy. So that, that hurts the relationship. Now Saul really starts putting on his true colors to the point that he starts to try to kill David. This young man that is his, his son's best friend, he's part of the family, he eats with him. He's the armor bearer. As an armor bearer, man, you do everything with the king. You're right there. You're really uh, responsible for the king in a sense. And so it's a very important job. And David was a warrior. He was a fighter. He was intelligent. He was good at what he did, And he was good at being his armor bearer. David was good. you got to know this. And that's really what makes him so important because these men were different than what we're used to living in and with now. I mean, when we say warrior, kill in, in a minute over some, over whatever. And I mean, you could, he he started taking on men. There was a point that is, is is Saul started chasing after him, and he had to go on the run. He he took on some people, some other unpleasant men. I think there was a couple hundred that started with him, and then it grew. And I mean, he had an army of six hundred men, and it says I think in Kings where he trained these men to be warriors as well. They kind of come in as, as ragtag, unhappy guys. And so you can only imagine traveling with these guys what that would be like. It would be like running with a, with, a, with a bike gang or something. <laughs> they were probably out of control and crazy and just done things, but the, the flip of a switch, they'll fight too. And I want to look at a story because we're, we're seeing, you know, if we've looked at David's life, we know that David done everything he could to preserve the life of the called one, the anointed one, the king. But yet, he would get to a point, and we're going to see that. Um, let me see here. Didn't write it down. I'm, I'm, I'm going ahead is why, because I'm going to run out of time if I don't. In chapter 25, Samuel has died at this point. And, and Samuel really had to go out and, and tell Saul that he was rejected. He had to basically walk away from him. And Samuel knew that it was, it was really at a time, it was, as hard as it was, he knew that's what had to happen. Saul walked away, and so, or Samuel walked away from Saul and left him basically in his sin, his mess. And uh, Samuel continued to try to kill David, I think, you know, three different times. We know that David preserved him to the point that he could, he had his hand basically on him. He could have killed him. And he cut the, the part of his garment. And that even troubled him after he'd done that. It troubled him that he'd done that. But he had, he had told him basically, he's like, I could have killed your king. He was right there, but I preserved him. So we see that David went to all kinds of extremity, extremes to preserve the king, what was right. And you know, that's a good quality as well. There's nothing wrong with what he'd done in that. But then he would take another example of a, of a man in his way, and we're going to see that he's ready to kill him and every male with him. In, in uh, chapter 25, um, we'll just start at the top here. Then Samuel died, and the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him in his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Now there was a man in Moan whose business was in Carmel. 
and that man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. And at this time, it was kind of a festive time when they'd, they'd got the sheep to town. It was a big ship, sheep shearing party and a lot of fest, festivities going on, so a lot of people there. The name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. And Caleb means dog, by the way. When David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him, Who lives in prosperity, peace be with you, peace to your house, and peace to all that you have. He was sending his men not to look like a bunch of uh, you know, gangsters, but to be pleasant and appropriate. Now we have heard that you have shears, that you have shears. Your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them all the while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son David. Now that might sound like he's going out and, uh, you know, kind of forcing something out of them. But that's not the case. This was very common. What had happened out in the wilderness is David and his men really protected these guys because there would be bandits. There would be a lot of uh, unpleasant things that could happen out while they were running their sheep, while they were moving them. And so David's men actually protected them. And it was very common to go and say, hey, you know, you want to you pay for that little service we give you out there? And so everything that took place was normal. And the guy would have paid, you know, because he was he was pretty ecstatic about the fact that they made it. Because it was pretty dangerous in them times, too. We don't, I don't think, understand how severe some of this stuff was, the life that they lived. But it goes on in verse 9. So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and waited. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? And the bad thing with this is at the time, you know, David had already slew Goliath. Everybody knew who David was. Everybody knew who Jesse was. And so it was kind of a slam to him right there. There are many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water? My, 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 me, me, me. Remember us as Christians, it's all God's. My water and my meat that I have killed from my shears and give it to men whom I do not know where they are from. He knew. He's just being a jerk. So David's young men turned on their heels and went back and they came and told all these words. Told him all these words. Then David said to his men, Every man gird on his sword. David's mad. So every man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. I'm telling you, this is one bad unit getting ready to take off. Now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. They were a, they were a wall to us both by day or by night and day, 
in the time we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now therefore, know and consider what you will do. For harm is determined against our master and against all his household. For he is such a scandal that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five shades of roasted grain, 100 cluster of raisins, and 200 cakes of figs, and loaded them on donkeys. And she gave to her servants, and she said to her servants, Go on before me, see I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. So it was, as she rode on the donkey, that she went out under cover on the hill, and there were David and his men coming down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow was, has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him, and he has repaid me evil for good. May God do so, and more also, to the enemies of David, if I have one one male of all who belong to him, or if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning night. That's wicked, guys. And this is the next king of Israel. He can be mean. That's why I say we don't understand the, the warrior nature of of guys like this today. If they are, they're they're you know, they're not commonly walking amongst us killing people. They're in different places doing it. But there are men that God has raised up to be warriors just like David. Trust me, they're out there, even amongst us. And, and, and they're in places that God has put, too. So pray for the warriors that's out there. Because as you see it, their job is a little different. But we're all called to something, though. Now, when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed down to the ground. So she fell at his feet and said, on me, my Lord, on me, let this iniquity be. She's, she's taken this for her husband. And what a gal. I mean, she knows what, what would work. Took a bunch, bunch of food. Who would have thought? That wouldn't have been the guy's solution. They'd have just took swords and fought back. But she knew what to do. Please let not my Lord regard this scandal Nabal for as his name is, so he is. Dog. Nabal was his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore be his head. And Abner and the people lay around. Wait. Wrong page. Sorry, that didn't make sense. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now let... Now then, let your enemies and those who seek harm from my Lord be as Nabal. And now, this, this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. She even knew that he was going to be king that it was right. It goes on, you know, Nabal, because of what he'd done, it goes on that uh, um, his heart died within him and he became like a stone. That it happened after about ten days that the Lord struck Nabal and he died. This happened because of the way he treated David. But at the same time, you know, I don't think David had a real godly response. 
in the way he was going to reply to what you know these men had just uh, reviled him. And it was really his pride and ego got it, and he was going to go kill him in every mouth. Think about it. It wasn't just going to go, I'm going to go beat him up. He's going to go wipe him out. That was, that was the heart of this warrior. It needed a little work, a little refining. But at the same time, when he was told to go fight, he, he knew how to do that well. But I, I guess the picture I want you to see is, you know, David would protect the man Saul that's trying to kill him, but this man that just supposedly just reviled him with words, he's going to wipe him and all his males out. Very extreme. But we, we see that at a time all this started taking place, David had to go on the run. He's on the run now. And I'm going to have to move along. The other thing that happened also is David married uh, Nabal's wife, Abigail. David had a woman problem. And we know more of that in the story with Bathsheba. That's a popular story. And I mean, if you look at what took place there, that's a dark, dark thing, even to the point of having her husband killed. So, I mean, when you look at the heart action behind that, that's not good either. David, he, he really, he, he got so far out of sorts that um, in, in chapter 27... Let's go to 27 here, because this is really important that we see this, because this can be us in a minute. We start at verse 1 in chapter 27. Like I say, David's been on the run. He's, he's trying to stay away from Saul. He doesn't want this to take place. And so we start here at chapter 1. It says, And David said in his heart, this is David saying in his heart. Take note of this. He's, he's, he's following the advice of his heart. Guys, we cannot do this. It's not our heart that we seek for anything other than refinement. But it says, David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. Think about this. This is insane, guys. This is the next king of Israel with 600 ragtag fighting guys that has been through it on the run, has survived it, knows that God is with him, but yet he thinks in his heart, and it's because of listening to his heart that got him here to even think this, to entertain this, he thinks it would be better to go live with the enemy. Think about this. This is huge. Because this is a fatal mistake. This could have, if God wasn't real and what he said didn't come to truth, this could have happened. But because of who God is, he is so sovereign. And it goes on. He, he hangs out with Achish. He's, he's one of the Philistines. He makes time with him. Achish really starts believing in him. He sees what David is. He knows he's a warrior. He knows his men can fight. He, David knows what's before him because, remember, the Philistines and the Israelites, they fight all the time. They hate each other. And this all goes back because the Israelites weren't obedient to what God said early on when they took the promised land. They were supposed to wipe them all out. And they didn't. They thought, well, we'll just keep them around. They'll cut our wood. They'll haul our water. It turned around. At first it worked that way, but then it turned around, and now they're under the oppression of the Philistines. The Philistines, they're the ones that they, they had weapons and such. Uh, 
Israelites didn't. They didn't have the ability to work steel. Philistines did. So they had the, the chariots, those type of things. And so they, they come and they're oppressing the, the Israelites because they weren't obedient. So here's this thorn in the side. Once again, the Philistines. And David living with them. Not good. But because of who God is, I've got this here. I guess I've got to read it. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We don't know our own heart. We think we do. But we're deceived sometimes. But God knows our heart. And that's why we have to rely on God to show us what our heart's doing, where it's at. And if we seek to allow the Holy Spirit to lead God and direct us, we're in pretty good ground. But David, in his time, he thinks it's better to, to hang out with the Philistines. And we see now that the war, there's a war, a uh, battle going to take place between the Philistines and the Israelites. And it's really kind of a, this is the time. Well, there's, there's three other, they call them lords. They were uh, kings or captains, I guess, would be in the Philistine army. Or with the Philistines. And so they're they're praying all their soldiers. Well, one of the last set of soldiers was David and his men. They're praying them through. And the other three lords, they say, Whoa, whoa, there's a there's an Israelite. What's up with Oh no, he's good. He's good. They're saying, No, this is this could be bad. We're going to fight Israelites. We got Israelites in the back of us? Uh uh-uh. uh. He's got to go. And so even though Achish, the Lord Achish, which was a Philistine, he had took David in, he trusted him. His other three compadres, they didn't, they didn't uh, think that was good. And probably some wisdom in that if you look at it in the sense of a, a, a battlefield. Who knows? Who knows? David, he's such a warrior. Who knows? I, they didn't want to take the chance. They made him go. So David, he packed up his guys and he goes back to the city that they'd give him. They, they allowed him a city in Ziglag to, to kind of look over that. Once you know he's going to be a Philistine, he'd hang out and watch out over that. They go back, and the Malachites had come in and took all their people, everything they had, burnt their city, and took off. So here's David back on the run to go get all of his people back. It's crazy, but David is a, is a man of, uh, that's what he does, he fights. And, of course, he went back and got they got all their women back, all the, all the kids, all the animals, everything they took. They got everything back, and they wiped out the Malachites. This is just David. This is what he does. But in that, look at the sovereignty of God. God pulled David out of this situation that would have run forever what God had put in play as far as the king would come from the line of Judah. Because you take David out of it, that, that changes. But... God's sovereign. And, you know, I asked Pastor Tom uh, if David hadn't been taken out of there, would he have actually fought against his own people? Pastor Tom didn't seem to think so. I don't either. And it goes back to the heart. The heart was really true to God. But I want to end here. The last thing David done is he inquired of God what to do next, and he got good answers. We look back of when he looked at his heart what to do. And I mean, just the extremity of what he thought would be okay, to go hang out with the Philistines. That's insane. But once he, he, he checked with God, he inquired of the Lord, things made sense again. Just like us. It's just like us. When we try to do it in the flesh, man, it don't work. 
But if we just sit, sit, settle down, ask God, what do you want? It might take a minute to get an answer, too. And that's what we don't like a lot of times, having to wait for that answer. But God will show you. And once again, does your heart really even want to trust God for it? And you know, we we see, and you know, I, I kind of blew through that. We, but I want you to see the picture of David as a guy that really, if he wasn't governed by the Spirit of God, think of what that man could have done in the wrong place. But God's sovereign; He, you know, He He worked it out. And you know, David in his time of kingdom or being king, because of his desire for many women, he had children from all kinds of places, all kinds of people, and it created havoc. His kingdom through his children were a wreck. But God, God worked it out, but. The idea is, though, guys, we've got to look at the heart. And when I say David, he knew what his sin was, he knew to repent, and he knew who his God was. And the reason we know that, go look at the Psalms. Every time one of those actions took place, when Saul would chase him, he'd get to a point, he'd write a psalm, basically. And so through all these events, you can go look at the psalms that David wrote, and you can see his heart connection to God. What's our heart connection to God? We don't have to write any psalms. We don't really have to do anything to be loved by our God. But if we love him enough, the idea is that we would abide in him, that we would do what he's called us to do, that we would, that we would obey his word and let his word work through us till the day of redemption. We have to prove that we love God, and it comes out as a byproduct of our actions. People will see us and know us by our love for one another. That's where it starts. And then we go out and we love on the others that are unlovable. Like Mike and I was talking earlier, you know, the the devil is is so good that he's starting to create division within the church over a dumb little mask. He's causing division amongst people like we've never seen. But us as believers, we can't get caught up in that. Our focus is Jesus telling people about him, serving them. That's really all we're supposed to do. And when we start making lines and saying them and that, we've created, we, we, we call them the enemy at that point. We can't do that. Love our enemies. What's that mean? Whatever God's got you in place for. But we still, we have to go out. It's our calling, guys. We're called to go out to proclaim the gospel in Jesus. To love on the unlovables, not get caught up in all this junk. There are so many things to get caught up on right now. And if you're one of those that look at the Internet, be careful. I'm just saying, be very, very careful because we know all the lies that's taken place. You can't trust anything. Right here you can, though. And this thing's been true. I've known it for 17 years now. It is so true. It's the truest thing I know. And I can say that because it's, it's just real. Greg early on told me the word of God will change a man's life. I believed him for that. He's true, and it's not because of what he said. It's because of who God is, and it's so true. So I, I hope you guys can be spurred on because the enemy wants to try to tell you somehow maybe you're not getting it right. Maybe you're not even saved. You know, where is your heart at, though? But if you're in agreement with establishing a relationship with God and entrusting your soul to him, that's all there is. You're good. Don't let the devil tell you, because we looked at two men here 
that, that kind of have parallel lives in a sense, I guess, kind of. But one's heart was right, one's heart was wrong. And God knows that. And you know there's a time he'll give you over to yourself because he knows you're not going to make it anyhow. So sometimes he'll take you out. Sometimes he'll just do what he wants to do because he is God. He is sovereign over all things. But I hope you're encouraged to know that even though maybe you're screwing up, you're messing up somewhere, but your desire truly is to serve God, you're okay. But if you can go unchecked, unfazed in your sin, you might want to take another look at your heart because we need to be phased with our sin. We have to even see what our sin is. And I'm here to tell you, if you're not somehow connected with your God, you'll go on and you won't even think about sin. You'll get so far apart from the things that will show you sin, you'll avoid them. You'll, you'll stay away from it. And so, thus then, you don't know what sin really is in your life. And we have sin trying to be changed all the time. People are out there changing what true sin is. We know what sin is. And then we have to repent. Just like these guys. One didn't repent, one did. One we're going to see in heaven, the other we're not. And it's, it, we don't make those choices. All we can do is go out and, and do what we're called to do. Even in this time, even in the rain. Avery, I just heard the Lord say, go out. You go out. <laughs> and you're just saying, what's up, brother? <laughs> I heard it from the Lord. <laughs> hey, we'll close there, guys. I, I love you guys. I thank you for this time. Pray for the Tyra family. Love you guys, and sorry about your loss. But God is good, and uh, he'll, he'll keep moving you guys on and, and pray that you can just trust your Lord in it. So. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day, and we do thank you for your goodness. Thank you that uh, you know our hearts, and I pray that you would help us to see our hearts. And, Lord, the areas that we need work in, I pray that we would open up and allow you to have our heart, uh, even when it's painful, that we can trust you, even when it's hard, that we can trust you. And, Lord, even when it's good, that we can go out and share, share your glory and the joy that you bring us and that we can find that joy even in the hard times, knowing that that's our strength. And so, Lord, we need, we need you. I pray um, for the Tyra family right now. I pray that they would just call upon your name, cry out to you for comfort. And, Lord, that uh, they would be able to minister to others throughout this time. And uh, just, just thank you for the Tyras and, and all of uh, Tony's friends. Just pray you'd minister to their hearts right now. And... Uh, Thank you for um, Tony being there with you. So, Lord, we, we thank you for this day and this time in your word. I pray that we would um, once again allow you to have your way with us and that uh, we would allow you to be the Lord of our life and that we would be the people you've called us to be. Pour your spirit out on your church this morning, Lord. Be with us in every way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. 
Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear?